Welcome, everybody, to Catholic Nerds Podcast, episode number two. This is Scott Smith. I'm Cody Reed. And Colby Allen. And uh, we're going to start out today's episode with a new segment that Cody has come up with. Cody, you want to give us the deets? Yeah, yeah. We're calling this segment What You Reading? (laughs) Uh, And the title is based off of uh, Isabella from Phineas and Ferb. Uh, Isabella is Phineas uh, Phineas and Ferb's neighbor, and she has a huge crush on Phineas, and so she would always come over, and the first line she would always say in basically every single episode is, What? you doing so <laughs> that's uh where that came from uh and so basically the segment is for us to talk about some of the things that we are reading right now um some of the things uh for enjoyment for education for uh theological advancement for whatever purpose we're reading them for um but uh, to to share uh some of the things that we are taking into uh ourselves and uh allowing to help form us uh through our exploration of the written word Awesome. Um, so who wants to go first? Cody, you wanna you wanna start it out? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm, I'm sure y'all probably hear the, the, the crying in the background, and I apologize for that. Little <laughs> there ones, was uh, wailing and gnashing of teeth. Exactly, that's what happens. Wailing and gnashing of teeth. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so long as the teeth have come in, yeah. Right. They're all there. We're just gnashing them out. You know. Uh, well, the first thing that I am, uh, I'm working on a few different things right now, mostly, you know, comics, because, you know, I'm just that kind of nerd. Uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm almost completely caught up with uh, The Walking Dead graphic novel. Um, and the, 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 there's so many differences between the shows. So if anybody wants to talk about The Walking Dead, you know, I, I I'm, I'm with you there. Um, Dude, I bought oh, sure. my volume 26 today. The <laughs> trade I'm, paperback. I'm, I have to buy volume 29 and volume 30. So it, it, it's it's so good. Um, but then uh, I'm also re- reading. I uh, just started the Wolverine and the X Men and the Old Man Logan series, uh, which Wolverine is my favorite comic book character of all time. So I'm pretty excited to be kind of just going through his uh, life or different lives, depending on which storyline you're following. So not uh, a sidetrack, but have you delved into the rumors that he may appear in Endgame? Dude, I I'm the one started those rumors. <laughs> <laughs> You're the one. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was me. Uh, no, I've been I've been really excited about it. I think it's the only reason that Marvel had any purpose of buying Fox was so that they could bring Wolverine into it. <laughs> but yeah, no, the, uh, that is that is one of the theories that I, I started as soon as I heard that Marvel was buying uh, buying out Fox. I was like, it's because they want to bring Wolverine in. Uh, and then there's the fact that. Uh, that, that, that my boy done said that he would only come <laughs> back as Wolverine mm-hmm. if he was doing the Avengers. Uh, oh. So, like, it left it open to that possibility. And so I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. Um, I, I, I am really excited about it. And the fact that Wolverine is a constant character in the Avengers comics. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's known as, like, a, uh, he, he's been on every superhero team there well, is, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he was, his first introduction was in The Incredible Hulk, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. It was, a, it was a Wolverine versus Hulk comic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I was yeah. disappointed when they... Uh, 
went into Wolverine's background um, the first time around <laughs> with, you know, Ninja Wolverine. And <laughs> now, I thought it was really cool that he was old and with his regenerative capabilities and, you know, now, fought was, in the Civil War or whatever. The one, but, the one you're mentioning, the first time they went back, that's actually the second time they went back. So there was Wolverine Origins, which they mm-hmm. didn't go back to his samurai days. Um, but then, but in Days of Future Past and then in uh, in The Wolverine. The Wolverine, they, right. The Wolverine is the one they really went to Japan. And which, that is a common thread in Logan's story. Is that yeah, he spent years in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he is a, a master of, uh, of the art of samurai. <laughs> you know? just, uh, it just, the, the rage of Wolverine and the stoicism of the samurai just didn't, never really jived to well, me. Well, that's, that's why he did that. That's why he became a samurai <laughs> is because of his rage. So he wanted to learn to control his rage. Uh, so that was, that's why he practices the samurai. Uh, now, unfortunately, has this uh, mutant ability in a way called, a uh, thing called Berserker, in which he cannot <laughs> control his rage so <laughs> well, like, that works <laughs> yeah exactly no, um, definitely comes out in logan you know the more recent movie mm-hmm. so the other thing i'm reading is you know to digress from comic books a little bit because i definitely want to re- <coughs> regress to comic books i'm reading um father donald calloway's um no turning back it's his autobiography of his kind of his uh, spiritual journey, kind of like a Thomas Merton, Seven Story Mountain, right. um, all his wayward years. And I'm really still in the wayward years, so I haven't really gotten to the <laughs> um, the conversion yet, but it's, it's very good. And one of the reasons I'm reading it, he's going to be a future guest on this podcast, mm-hmm. um, but also he's speaking at the Men of the Maculata Men's Conference this year. So lots of reasons I need to... Um, study up on his background but right. he uh very cool story so far uh he was i mean cool in, in terms of, in the context of conversion but he was a uh, child of some uh navy um uh an officer and a enlisted person in the navy and moved to japan and uh kept up his surfer uh he was a surfer in California and then moved to Japan, got involved in drugs, drug trafficking, stealing, oh, and uh, was eventually deported from Japan. Um, Japan kicked him out. and Which, from what I understand, is not that difficult to do. But <laughs> <laughs> Have you done that, too? No, no. <laughs> but, yeah, it, very interesting story. I just finished the part, um, you know, spoilers, um, where he talks about when he woke up one morning with a massive Grateful Dead tattoo on his back. Okay. He had been following the, uh, uh, he had been one of the deadheads following um, the Grateful Dead tour for like six months, you know, like starving and uh, psychedelic all the way. And he just, you know, woke up one morning with that Grateful Dead tattoo and, and keeps it. So he has like physical proof of his wayward years. Hmm. But yeah, he's working on a new book, which hopefully he'll tell us more about in that upcoming podcast. I'll be in March. Um, but he says he describes it as a game changer. He's written a, he's written other books like Champions of the Rosary, things like that. Um, that's let's see, that's the only title that I remember offhand. Um, I'll add some in the notes. So, but uh, this one 
as he said, is is going to be a different league than his other books. So looking gotcha. forward to seeing what that's going to be about. Do you have a, a general idea what it's about or no? said in his email that he kind of sent out to um, his followers, uh, lastly, please pray for me as I work on a very special project. I can't give the details yet, but when it is finished, it's going to be a game changer. Seriously, I am not kidding. I've been working on it for a year now, and it'll take another year until it's available. Uh, available January 1st, 2020. It's so big and important that I plan to get on Facebook sometime in fall 2019 to begin promoting it. I wow. ditched Facebook three years ago because I wanted to focus on my prayer life. And now I believe Jesus and Mary want me to get back on Facebook, good Lord, <laughs> in order to get people ready for what I'm working on. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is going to be a mega weapon for Catholicism. Um, and he says, he said in my e- the email to me, he said it's going to rock souls. Rock souls. Yeah. Wow. So that sounds promising. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Uh, I guess I'll we'll uh, wait till Cody gets back to finish talking about comics and stuff. But what uh, what you reading, Colby? Um, so I usually have two different books that I'm going through at once. Um, my current trend is I use Audible a lot. Yes. So I mean I'm sitting at a desk for six to eight hours a day, and also commuting for a little over an hour a day. So um, it's not that difficult to go through several books within a you know within a month. Anyways, uh, always try to do a fiction and then uh, some type of enrichment reading. Uh, the fiction series I go through several times, an author named R.A. Salvatore. Mm-hmm. Ever heard of him? Yeah, I had a book by him about, like, it's like the Thousand Orcs or something like that. Yeah, so he's a pretty prominent fantasy writer. Um, very deep into the D&D mm, okay. um, realm. Um, his series of books falls within what's called the Forgotten Realms. That's the Forgotten uh, Realms of D&D? Uh-huh. Gotcha. So I want to say it's like him and uh, two or three other core authors that write within a series. Um, His main characters, uh, specifically one, is a dark elf. um, And he kind of follows his adventures. Um, So he's a dark elf who lives, you know, in the the depths of of the planet. Comes out, and of course, their their race is known to be evil, and they're very hated. Um, but he develops a reputation for being good, and um, it's all about his struggles, trying to make friends on the surface, and then also going back to his hometown to um, face some of the other crap that he dealt with. Um, but anyways, uh, R.A. Salvatore is a fantastic writer, and so um, very easy to get into. I remember the very first time I got one of his books. How many has he written? Oh, shoot. I own, I want to say 12. Okay. And uh, I have maybe half of what he's written. So he's got, I want to say, a little over two dozen books published. Okay. Um, it's kind of like a Robert Jordan or George R. R. Martin kind of. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he sold um, quite a number of printed books. And just recently, within the last couple of years, uh, has an exclusive with Audible for his some of his series and his audible publications have some of them have over like 10,000 reviews good lord yeah so he's very very well known author um, <coughs> and you what were you I interrupted you you were saying the first time you picked one of his books up oh yeah so 
uh, went to a used bookstore, found one of his books for like 50 cents off the bookshelf. And for the first time in my life, I read a fiction book in like less than three days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so needless to say, he is my favorite um, fiction author. First cut is the deepest. It is. And it's stuck pretty well. Um, so the one I'm reading now is uh, it's called Legacy. Um, and it's about Drizzt, who... Um, is it a new release? No, actually, and even still, it's, he started writing in the 80s. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's been writing the same series for, I want to say, a little over three, like 30 years. Wow. Because he just released the latest one August or October of this past year. Oh. So some, you know, some Catholics listening might be, you know, you mentioned in Dungeons and Dragons might be like, ah, terrible. Right, right. <laughs> how, um, how, what would you uh, say about that? Sure, so it's definitely not... It's kind of hard to say this. It's not on par with the Lord of the Rings or, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia when it comes to Christian-themed fantasy Mm -hmm. or fiction. Yeah. Um, However, I definitely will propose that um, following these few core key characters, he does focus on virtues. He focuses on what is good. And he he kind of highlights... Because part of the theme in his books also... At the beginning of most of the sections is a personal journal from Drizzt. Hmm. And so, like, the opening of the chapters is his journal as he writes about his inner conflict. You know, he writes about the ways that he rejects his people, his own people's evil, um, and how he's trying to find good and develop these friendships that um, help him become a better person. Uh, so even if it's not explicitly Christian, it does focus on virtues and good themes. We're gonna have to have a special, uh, special episode like just on Lord of the Rings or just on. I mean, I've God, I've written for my blog. I've I wrote like ten different posts on um, uh, all the Catholic um, symbolism. Uh, the Eucharistic symbolism, and then there's not as much in Lord of the Rings that's explicit, and I think, you know, um, Tolkien's even um, rejected some of uh, the attempts to allegorize his work, but if you go into the Silmarillion, it's like in your (laughs) face. (laughs) So we'll have to talk about, maybe just a special episode on the Silmarillion or if if you can get past the first what two or three chapters of Zimmerian, <laughs> well yeah you gotta <laughs> gotta contextualize yourself a little bit. Right, right. Yeah, confession, I have not read all of Lord of the Rings, um, mainly because I got too bored by the time I was in the second book. And the podcast uh, goes dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So speaking I had, of being I had bored. to read through the, the <laughs> like I had to force myself to read all the way through the first one. And then I was like, okay, okay, maybe in the second one it'll get a little more exciting. Sure. But it was like watching grass. Like, <laughs> well, no. I mean, Frodo didn't go to Japan and become a samurai, you know. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> he didn't have a, an adamantine skeleton. Exactly. <laughs> but what um, if he did? <laughs> but no, no, I do want to add. So, I remember, so much different. <laughs> I remember when The Hobbit came out, the movies, I was like, you know what? I haven't read The Hobbit in a long time. Let me reread the book before the movie comes out. And I remember reading it, and it was like, it was so simple. It was yeah. a kid's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the Hobbit compared to the you know the rest of the books, it's pretty simple and boring. Yeah. Like I'm amazed they were able to stretch out that into three movies and actually like 
And just some... added a bunch of blood and violence. Yeah. While yeah. taking away Tom Bombadil. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me, but whatever. No, but it's true. Like, when you read it, I mean, the whole, like, battle with Smaug, you know, when he flies out of the mountain and goes to the city, that whole uh-huh. scene in the book is, like, what, two and a half pages? <laughs> yeah. Had to incorporate some John Milton Paradise Lost to round it out. Yeah. No, and I think, it, I mean, you can make a comparison between Hobbit, Chronicles of Narnia, Lord of the Rings, and the Space Trilogy, which, you know, the if y'all have read the C.S. Lewis Space Trilogy, it's pretty amazing because it's, it's Tolkien, uh, it's Tolkien, it's C.S. Lewis's treatment of uh, original sin and mm-hmm. worlds, um, planets without original sin, what would be the effect of that, and... Then he gets into Arthurian myth, and it just gets crazy and awesome. Yeah, you know I haven't read them. Uh, one of my TOB classes, the instructor used. I the forget which. Paralandra? I forget which one it was. Yeah, Paralandra, mm-hmm. um, with the the illustrations of the different, um, I guess characters of the angels and the interchange they have. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, illustrating That's- masculine and feminine between them. Oh yeah, I for, I missed that part completely. Mm-hmm. I have to reread it. Yeah, same. I have to go back and reread it, but I do remember him using that image in the class. So the um, yeah, we'll have to definitely we're gonna talk a lot more about this in future podcasts and stuff because this is all good material. Um, getting back to comics, the other thing I'm reading is uh, or well, I should say stopped reading <laughs> is Doctor Afra. Have y'all heard of that? Nope. No. Um. So. I I think it, it's oh god what's his name uh, Gillum as the guy who wrote the Darth Vader comics, okay. which are pretty good. I'm enjoying those. I'm reading those kind of simultaneously, uh, and I was really excited. Um, Doctor Afro was given to me uh, for Christmas, and I like the second page. You've got a Wookiee fighting a Wampa. You know, the snow beast. And I'm like, I'm sold. I'm in. I've been waiting for this. You know, who's oh, going to yeah. rip off whose arm, you know? Right, right. Um, but then, you know, as is so typical of comics, the last page, they've got to leave you with one little uh, uh, bit of sexual, you know, they got to make her sexuality an issue, right? They got to, they got to, she's not she's not a complex enough character if she's straight so like the very last scene in the in the first volume i had of dr afra uh, she remarks about she saved this one imperial's life because she was cute and i was like that's it i'm done <laughs> can't oh, do dude. this oh, like, they, they get you to so, go through the whole thing and then just throw you off at the end right oh yeah had, suck had, me had, in did, with did y'all ever watch uh avatar mm-hmm. not the james the James Cameron crazy oh. blue aliens, but I'm like the Avatar Airbender. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. I've seen the I TV said, show. So you watch the TV show, right? Yeah, I haven't the seen the M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> yeah, and I, he he really screwed that one up. Like I walked out of the theater crying. I'm dead serious. Like we were so excited. We went to the midnight show, and I walked out kind of like tearing up because of how bad it was. Okay, um, but because it has so much potential because the show is so good. Like it sucked me in. I was trapped. Okay, so I watched all of Avatar. It was so good, so amazing. And then it came out with the Legend of Korra. Okay, who is the next Avatar? Right, mm. and it's really, really good. And in the very last episode, it is uh, revealed, well, revealed in quotations, uh, that 
uh, she is uh, in love with another woman in the show. And mm. like, wait, what? Where did <laughs> where that does that come, come from? from? <laughs> what was that? And you're just like, how can you like seriously? Yeah, Se- seriously, and that's it's the like thing. J.K. Rowling saying that Dumbledore is gay. Like, what's you that? Can't, you, you can't can... go back and then say, oh yeah, I always thought that, right, and right. make it true. Yeah, retcon it. <laughs> I can't you can't escape it now like it's so norm for people to just throw those things out there with the expectation that you can't say anything contra because mm-hmm. um, like even now Valerie and I are encountering like going to these different websites or resources for marriage prep um, and all the wedding planning websites <laughs> what does Celine Dion have a a, a new um, ensemble that's genderless for the bride and groom <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um, like uh, the website The Knot, for instance, right? Oh, uh, yeah. So, like, you log into The Knot, you set up your page, and as you're going through the themes... That's, like, a, a place to register for gifts or something? It's yeah, it's, like, a, a generic... place to register your wedding. Yeah, you, you register you your wedding. You set up a page. Put some details. You can take RSVPs. Like A, a lot of vendors actually uh, advertise through The Knot, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of... You can go on The Knot, and you can go through a bunch of different vendors for different things. Continue sure. your story. <laughs> no, but, like, we're going through the themes to pick a theme for, you know, the website design. And at least a third of them are same-sex relationships. Mm. Just straight up on the main page of the website as you're looking at them. Like, you mm-hmm. just can't even you can't mm. even get away from it. That's just messed up. Now, not that that isn't a fascinating topic, but... <laughs> a little little derailing. But I've, I uh, have to... I've been, I haven't talked to anybody about this because no one else is interested, and y'all may not be either, but the M. Night Shyamalan trilogy, have y'all been hearing about this? That you ha- Unbreakable, and then uh, massive spoiler alert: the movie Split. Oh, the new one coming out. Mm-hmm. No, well, th- there's going to be a new one. Co- Split came out. Let's see, I've actually got it up. Came out in 2017. Not, uh, well, 2016. Oh yeah, yeah. I do remember seeing Split. Glass is the new one coming out, right? Exactly. Well, we're talking about right. Unbreakable with Bruce Willis, right? Right. Unbreakable, and then Split. You find out is a uh, prequel. I guess to mm-hmm. uh, Unbreakable, and then Glass is about to come out, which brings together Glass, the Bruce, w- and the you know, then the Bru- the Samuel L. Jackson Glass character, Samuel L. Jackson, yeah, the Bruce Willis character, uh, and then the uh, James McAvoy. What's he like? The Beast or something? The Beast. The Beast. Yeah. So no, yeah. he's Professor X, guys. Come on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, so many worlds combining. Speaking of, I saw the trailer for the new Dark Phoenix movie too. So, oh yeah, oh, yes. I've been meaning to buy the first appearance of the Dark Phoenix comic book, but I haven't gotten around to it. It's probably too late now. Yeah, no, well, probably not, dude. You could probably find it. It like so. The the way that I, I read the first forty years of X Men comics, okay, mm-hmm. um, and the way that I did that was. I have all digital versions. Oh, <laughs> so like a comicsology like no copy. Yeah, comicsology. I love comicsology. Uh, it's phenomenal. And now I'm going to the library and pulling different comics off the shelves there. But the way that I read uh, the X Men is they actually had for sale on I think it was Amazon uh, one year the first forty years of X Men comics, hmm. and that was my Christmas present one year. Nice. Uh, you know, I was like, "That's what I want, Mom," and she was like okay and so boom and i so i had the first 40 years of x-men and i was just like oh my gosh this so is that so good. that takes you to like 2000 huh i think so because it's starting like 60 mid 60s right 
I want to say it was the mid sixties. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure right now. Uh oh. But yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, I, I have the trade paperbacks for a lot of those, but yeah, I've been been kind of slow to do the digital. I guess I'm old fashioned or something. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, another one that I'm I'm reading right now is actually uh, I mentioned uh, we were uh, Thanos, right? The storylines for Thanos. Um, just so I wanted to find out more about his character and like where he came from and how he developed. And uh, so it's it's a really interesting storyline um, that you know he's he was born on this planet and he was uh, basically ostracized from the beginning because he di- he looked different and uh, through his whole life it's just a pursuit they were of knowledge. Racists. Right, basically, <laughs> uh, which Marvel has that theme commonly through all of their stuff is you know you 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 shouldn't judge those who are different you know that's most of yeah, like Marvel the comics. mutants yeah right <laughs> um but uh but basically thanos is is on this inevitable search of knowledge wanting to know the truth wanting to know existence um but at the same time he meets this girl very early in his life who he's always trying to impress uh and it turns out that this girl <laughs> is mistress death dun 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but uh, death is represented by a woman in in all of it, uh, like throughout the whole Marvel universe. Uh, death is a woman, and she always goes to. Uh, there's hmm. a couple of characters that she goes to, and Thanos is one of them, and uh, so is Deadpool. <laughs> oh yeah, is that is is that Thanos' yeah, yeah, wife so, or well, something? It, the, he calls her his mistress, or the mother they of call, his children. He calls her his mistress. <laughs> Um, so he's not married to her, but he says, "My mistress, death." Uh, so, and and basically, in Thanos's sole purpose uh, in in basically all of his travels is to please his mistress, death. Hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to see, is it Captain Marvel? I uh, see because it's interesting because in DC. You know, it's it's, it's your typical um, uh, Grim Reaper, right. uh, and she she actually looks like the Grim Reaper, except to Thanos oh, and Deadpool. Okay. Well, actually, she prefers to appear as the Grim Reaper to Deadpool because Deadpool prefers it that way for some reason. I don't know, but then to Thanos, she appears as a woman, like with skin and all. But to to Deadpool and to all others, she has no skin. <laughs> <laughs> the um what i'm thinking about as you're talking so we were just mentioning um captain marvel or actually Mar-Vel. captain marvel yeah. um and, and uh, you know like the, the older, older captain, captain marvel marvel's captain marvel right. and so he um uh, and like is one of those um Kind of miles, major milestones in comic book history that the death of Captain mm-hmm. Marvel, he actually dies of cancer, and mm. um, you know comics. That was kind of the time of age of comics where they're only beginning to address kind of harder subjects mm-hmm. like that. Like um, uh, Green Arrow finds his sidekick like shooting heroin or something oh, like dang. on the cover, and yeah, like it was. They're really starting to address some of these things and. 
So Captain Marvel dying of cancer. It makes me the cover. You've got <laughs> it's kind of crazy. It's it's the Grim Reaper holding Captain Marvel in his arms. But if you look at it and just Google the death of Captain Marvel cancer like cover image of the comic book, it's the Pieta. <laughs> it's it looks exactly like the Pieta. <laughs> It's like a little mirror image of it. I think Christ is uh-huh. facing the other direction, but yeah, it's even you know how in oh, uh, Michelangelo's Pieta. I mean, yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. It I th- um, even that is interesting. <laughs> isn't that crazy? Yes, That's just kind of kind of weird. But even the elongation mm-hmm. of the body, you know, with the mannerism that you know Michelangelo, yeah. like Jesus would have had like extra vertebrae if he was that long, kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of and the Mary is the huge. Never... Death is huge. Yeah, Mary is giant. <clears throat> so here's a question: How do you see this stuff, or how do you like figure out again these different imageries between, I guess, modern secular pieces of art and sacred? Art images. I mean, because I'm assuming. I mean, the writers they are artists themselves, and so they don't. I mean, not everything they come up with is absolutely original. But I would never see this image and say, "Wow, that's the Pieta." Mm. You know. I, know, I feel like your question is now. I'm um, like, would I have seen it? Too deep. <laughs> would I have seen it if not <laughs> for Scott mentioning it there? And I, I feel like the comic bar book artist gonna be like ah nobody's gonna know what i'm copying right. here <laughs> right or if you ask them that question he'd be like no like that's not where it but comes it's, from what are you talking about you know? a, a, a rendition of it like you, you can't negate it after seeing it yeah once you see it it's kind of well i mean there's the old line i think it was either shaw or oscar wilde or <laughs> or maybe vonnegut stealing it from them he said that you know the 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 good artists mm-hmm. will copy, but the greatest artists will outright steal. <laughs> or in terms of writing, plagiarize. Yeah. You, know? you know, actually, now that you say that, in reference to my uncle, <laughs> he has said, and I don't want this going too public, but he has told me there is no such thing as like a new theologian. Or a new heresy. <laughs> or new heresies, right? The only ones that are successful are those who paraphrase the best. Yeah. Yeah, I need to work on my paraphrasing skills. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm really curious in this oh, cover, man. yeah, uh, cover thing now. Well, we I, it might be a good um can write Jim Starlin if he's still alive. I don't know. Well, he might be the author, not he, the artist. He actually is the artist too. It looks like. Yeah. Oh, he is. Cool. <laughs> we what? I I might um email him and, and ask it'd be really cool if he's like no one's ever asked that before I've been waiting <laughs> I've been waiting my whole life for somebody to ask <laughs> but no it's true I just opened a new window of my browser and put a Pieta it's next just, to that image and yeah. it's it's almost a mirror it is flipped was yeah, I right about that no it's not flipped oh, it's, it's original not? okay cool wow you know one one thing um, I'm sad to say about the Pieta because a little backstory in my I went to public school almost the whole way and in high school um, the only time religion was ever really discussed was in AP European history and I had this amazing European history 
teacher, and she actually cried when she was describing the Pieta. Mm-hmm. Which, wow. you know, in a public school, you're like, well, that's never going to happen, <laughs> uh, especially today. But um, when my wife and I um, went to uh, Rome for our honeymoon um, to get the, the papal blessing on our marriage, um, we, you know, we walked in St. Peter's and I looked to my right and I'm like, oh, that can't be the real <laughs> Pieta. And I just kept walking. <laughs> and I didn't, I never came back to it. Like, you know, it was, it was super crowded and all that stuff, but we ne- I never came back to, like, get within 20 feet of the thing. And um, so I'm a huge loser for that. Just Shame on you. Yeah, I just needed to confess that. Appreciate y'all listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So here's the question. Talk about going to Rome. True story. I remember, I don't know how long y'all want to stay on this, but, and a little off topic, but I don't know if you recall, but, Ash and I went to BRCC at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I was there for a little bit. And and I do remember... For our listeners, that's Baton Rouge Community College. Baton Rouge Community College. Um, I remember we both were taking a history class at the same time, but it was a different history. And uh, <laughs> I'm still giggling about this. Oh, no. <laughs> um, they, in her class, were talking about the Sistine Chapel... Uh, but in particular, I think the topic was like nudity in art. And <laughs> oh, and that special artist that came around and drew uh, little fig leaves or bits of cloth on all the all the private yes. parts. <laughs> yes, is that the, is so, that literally what you were gonna say? I was just yes. Oh, and damn. so they were talking about it, and she was like, "Yeah." She goes, "I can't believe like you know like they had like nudity in the Sistine Chapel and like in the Vatican." She's like, "That's so like you know that's so undignified." And I was kind of leaned <laughs> in. I was like, "Well, you know." <laughs> other popes actually ordered they be restored to their original nudity right like be restored to their original beauty and she was completely shocked like she had never heard of that before <laughs> um so it was just i don't know it was an interesting topic and it was around that point where as i guess you mentioned at the very beginning like started studying theology of the body oh um, yeah that's cool to mark that yeah but uh but it's just interesting to see like in a history class and her i don't want to call it naivety but like you know, the fact of nudity being within a church or within, you know, like sacred art was like, it was a no-no. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to happen. And you kind of got to ask yourself, could something like that happen again? And even as I'm saying that, I'm like, yeah, of course it, it did happen again in the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, and kind of that period where the Catholics almost adopted the iconoclasticism of the Protestants. And we painted over all our some of our most beautiful murals Mm -hmm. um like here in baton rouge um st joseph cathedral um they just painted over all of it (laughs) yeah that's uh, that was just a catastrophe (laughs) the Mm -hmm. the 1970s on catholic churches and 80s too it truly truly was disheartening have you ever seen uh what it was a book that came out i think it was a centennial celebration book or 50 year book for the diocese of Baton Rouge. oh yeah do you remember and they have some original photos yeah. of the cathedral before mm-hmm. renovations it's like mm-hmm. a completely different building oh, that's so sad to hear that because like you know the um the nave i guess i'm probably getting that wrong but you know the back of the altar um where you've got that stone mm-hmm. wall Right, it's like Gabatha, you know. Is that the stone pavement? Um, 
that's what I feel like when I look at the behind the altar, like this the harsh stone pavement of the of the crucifixion, and um, that wasn't original to the building. It was more of a curved back, and you had mm-hmm. uh, stained glass windows, you know, long vertical mm-hmm. stained glass windows, and yep. they just like let's just put a wall here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh god, this is terrible. And then also that time, you know. I, it wasn't so much iconoclasticism, but I guess kind of an adoption of a un-Eucharistic Protestant, uh, you know, understanding. They, you started getting the the uh, the tabernacle defocused, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. shifting the focus away from it by putting it off to the side or you know, wherever. Yeah. <sighs> it's a little jump, but I actually remember when I was a missionary in the Diocese of Homotipido. The church that we went to that was by our house was um, St. Bernadette. And right before we moved into that house, they had done some renovations and completely redid the inside and the interior. And to say it was horrendous is to be generous. Oh, no. Um, there was like a wavy glass paneling behind the altar. <laughs> and then um, they took the tabernacle from the center and then moved it off into a corner. And same, like, put, like, this wavy glass shrouding, like, around the front of it. And it was just, it was awful. Um, but the priest there now um, has since put in a new initiative and completely redid the altar area to where it's all hand-carved and wood. Mm. Um, awesome. You know, and actually restored it to what it was, I guess, what one of the original intent was supposed to be. Move the, the tabernacle back, you know, near the altar and... Um, it's drastically different, uh, but again, it was just—it's weird to imagine that, you know, for people to want to go to church to be in a sacred space, yet vote and you know have this like I guess push to change something from what is not originally sacred. Um, I don't know. It's just yeah, a weird feeling. Well, it's one weird of the things that I heard, uh, and and. Keep in mind that this is this is how it was at, at St. Jesus Seminary College uh, at the Abbey over there, uh, and at many many churches. Uh, yeah, in that's Covington, Covington right? Uh, or technically in St. Benedict is actually in its own little city. Um, oh, my God, the <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but one of the main arguments for moving the tabernacle to one side of the altar or one side of the church is to give people better access to the tabernacle um, bringing Christ closer to the people now I'm not saying that I agree with it <laughs> or at least half yeah. the people well, right? <laughs> it's, it's for people to go in like outside of mass and spend some time with Christ and this was before the, uh, the uh, bunch of churches had these perpetual adoration chapels you know um, but they kept mm-hmm. the church doors mm-hmm. open and so instead of having them go up on the altar uh, in, in, in the sanctuary area um, they would move Jesus over to the side allowing them that's why you always see kneelers right there you know um, giving them some time to spend with Christ in the tabernacle but with the development and the uh, the implementation implementation of perpetual adoration chapels, um, there's really no need for it anymore. That's inter- that's a, that perspective makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah, I you know for me it's just the the church is a recapitulation of the temple. 
is a recapitulation mm-hmm. of the tabernacle of Moses, is a recapitulation of what Moses saw on top of Mount Sinai, and the Moses's tabernacle um, had the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. you know, at the very center, um, you know, that you would like you would process in from the east gate, you know, straight into the Ark of the Covenant, and the. Um, of course, and it, based on that, you know the the altar was kind of to the side, so that kind of cuts both <laughs> ways, I guess. <laughs> okay, so I got um, another. Not, I mean, that's a whole conversation topic too. Not to, we maybe can circle back to that, but I just wanted to say, um, did y'all hear about Father Bahi, Jeff Bahi, and um, Zachary? He just built a new church there. I don't know um, who you're talking about, but I know who yeah. Father Jeff Bahi is and Zachary. Yeah, y'all, I, and some of this I'm, you know, given for the listener. Um, so Father Jeff Bahi, he, he uh, is one of our local, one of our Baton Rouge Diocesan priests. He uh, cut a record with Aaron Neville mm-hmm. uh, and found, and when he looked back to his bank account a couple years down the road, he saw he had couple million dollars use that to start metanoia manor uh which is this amazing shelter for victims of sex trafficking human trafficking um but so he recently built a new church in in zachary louisiana and he was able to get the altarpiece the pews the the cabinetry for the sacristy all that original woodwork he uh bought from a church um, kind of a de- I think it was a decommissioned church um, in upstate New York. Uh, and in that purchase, which I think he spent maybe 40000 all that, which, you, you know, to get, even to get the cheap stuff in, it would be mm-hmm. more expensive than that, much less, you know, hand-wrought woodwork, right? Which is just priceless these days. Um, but with that price also came the stained glass of the mm-hmm. of that church. Um, up in upstate New York, and right as they were about to start taking that down to send it down to Louisiana, package it and send it down, the historical society, uh, let's say Rochester or Buffalo, um, said uh, prevented the stained glass from being taken from the building because the exterior of the building uh, had historical significance, and the stained glass was part of the exterior, so they they stopped the sale. Well, dang. Yeah, well, then come to find out that the new tenant in the church, um, uh, it became a mosque. And the um, imam or whatever leader of the congregation um, put black cloth over all the stained glass windows because they didn't want that. <laughs> you know, they didn't want that to be right. seen in their mosque. So, yeah, I mean, is it, that's... Uh, this is the terrible irony <laughs> of all that, but he did get a really good deal on the uh, the wood the woodwork. Yeah, and I don't say that's common now, but uh, also St. Pius Parish here in Lafayette Diocese recently had a similar, I guess, arrangement. Um, a number of the items around the church they have uh, different statues of the apostles and also the Baldacchino and the altar section, I believe. Um, we're all recovered from wow. the decommissioned church. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah, and so you know the majority of the building itself is a little more modern. However, a lot of the main articles within the church are recovered from another, um, and you know they, they're very good places. So that, uh, that would be kind of neat to kind of kind of build a home from 
things from a decommissioned church, you know. Like uh, I don't I don't know if that's sacrilegious or anything, but for faithful Catholics, you know, uh, to to build a home, it'd be pretty from sweet. decommissioned church stuff. That would be awesome, like stained glass cool. windows, church pews, you know, the wood floors. That'd be really neat. There's a not to sound weird, but I've actually got a Paschal candle in my living room. <laughs> we um when they were replacing the roof at St. Mary's here in New Roads, um I raided the dumpster. <laughs> I got all the wood that, you know, didn't have termite damage. Um uh, and we incorporated it into our house. I made bookshelves <laughs> out of it and um the original St. Mary's when they were demolishing it, they were just about to throw away all the wood. But um, I forget the person who did it, but there, um, y'all might remember on False River, there's a, a home that has like a lot of windows and the paint's kind of peeling off of it. It's across from like the fire station. Yes. And uh, yeah, like a center for the arts kind of right around there. Okay. Uh-huh. That, was, that was made from the windows and the wood from the original yeah. St. Mary's. What? Yeah. Like, I mean... I mean, how how often that sort of thing happened, that people just disposed of things like that, and now these days, you know, reclaimed wood is so precious and expensive, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just so, so much was lost, or like when Napoleon III um, it decided to widen the boulevards in Paris, you know, and just, just mowed down, you know, whole neighborhoods to make like the Champs-Élysées and stuff like that. Kind of makes you sick. I know. I'm trying to. I'm actually kicking myself. It was a while back. Um, so here, right next to the so in the diocese of Lafayette, there's the uh, the diocesan office. Right next to that is a school, Saint John Paul the Great, um, which used to be a monastery. I can't remember exactly which order it was. Is that is so the cathedral? That's the one with that. The, the live oak, the really old live oak ne- next to it? Yes, okay. yes. The cathedral does have the live oak that's like over 400 years old. Wow. Um, but not there. So actually the diocesan office is oh. off of Carmel Drive, okay. which is a little a little ways out of town. Um, but next to that, it's an old. it was an old monastery that is now a private school. Oh, you, said, you're telling, you said JP2 Institute, right? John Paul the Great. John Paul the Great. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah, it's a school, um, which used to be a monastery slash... A home for religious order. I can't remember oh, which order it was, wow. but anyways, on the grounds, all of the buildings there are you know 100 plus years old. Well, the principal and the headmaster at the time, uh, they Fletcher? were trying. It was Peter Fletcher. They were demolishing a old house and huh. barn. Huh. And so it was myself and one other friend and like a couple other people. They told us like, look, if you want to salvage any of this wood. Awesome. We'll give you a couple of days to come in and take whatever you want. After that, we're de- you know we're demolishing it. And so I remember going to help my friend, and we recovered like some beautiful, long. I'm talking like 14, 15 foot wow. uh, cypress planks. And they're probably hand hewn, hand planed. Oh. oh yeah, oh yeah. So beautiful, beautiful wood. And I remember helping him harvest a ton of stuff, but I didn't keep much for myself. And now I'm like, I'm like man, Kicking I should have kept a couple things. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, you know, not just the you know the the fact to say like you know this is from you know this historical building, but I mean these things again like can tell how many people have either been in that home or have used that barn or even the religious brothers you know that were part of that property that used those buildings. So much history and, and memories that are probably there that are tied to that wood. Boom, 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 boom. 
Thanks for joining us for the Catholic Nerds podcast, our second episode. Um, next time, join us. We'll be talking about the holy moment, um, a concept that uh, uh, helping us grow in our holiness. Um, that should be coming out in next week or so. So look out for it. And thank you for listening to the Catholic Nerds talk about some nerdy stuff. And we'll join you next time.